So Money episode 1044, Sarah Nannan, transformation teacher and author of Grief Unveiled. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I just called him up and basically said, look, we had to close our doors halfway through March. So I I need to ask for support because I'm not going to be able to come up with fancy new revenue streams when no one can walk into my yoga studio. And he said, what do you propose? Just as simple as can be. I don't know that everyone will be so um, generous. I hope that people will be really willing to help each other out in these times. Um, but he said, what do you propose? And so I was prepared for a proposal in case he asked. There you have an anecdote of how one small business owner is negotiating her way through financial success, convincing her landlord to cut her a break. I know a lot of us need scripts these days, and that is just part of my conversation with Sarah Nanan. She's a transformation teacher and guide, as well as an author, speaker, and podcast host. Sarah became a military widow and solo mother of four in 2014, an aviation accident claimed her husband's life. What followed would be a journey through grief, which has now informed her renegade work with those navigating painful life transitions, painful life transitions. I think we can all relate to this right now. It may not be grieving a loss of a life, but we're grieving, right? We're grieving what's happening in the world at large, perhaps grieving the loss of a job, the loss of connection with our loved ones, with our family and friends. It's hard times. And because Sarah is such a warrior, such a renegade, I wanted her to come on the show to provide us with guidance pulled from her own life and now her life's work. Here's Sarah Nanan. Sarah Nannan, welcome to So Money. It's great to connect with you at this time. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. You are a transformation teacher who specializes in helping people kind of work their way through the pains of life, transitions, painful transitions. You yourself have a very personal story connected to this, and you are now giving back to the community as a coach, as a podcast host, as a speaker. Let's start with everything that's going on in the world today. For some people, this is not super traumatic, but for others, if they've lost loved ones, if they themselves have gotten um, sick, if they've lost their jobs, if their finances have been upended as a result of COVID-19, how is your work finding almost like new purpose right now? And, and what are the conversations you're having with your, with your families, with your friends and clients specifically on this topic? Well, I think no matter how people are being impacted financially, um, personally, like you mentioned, so many of these scary implications with personal health and familial health, all of our survival energies are activated. They're turned way up. And um, the real thing that I think so many people are missing right now with this shelter in place order and the way our norms are interrupted is the reality that so many of our survival mechanisms, our coping mechanisms, the things we did each day to make life a little more tolerable, our pain, our past, our traumas, you know, present and past, both 
a little more tolerable is the idea that we don't have access to as many coping devices, as many of those um, resources even. You know, a lot of people have said, I've, I've been going to yoga classes. I've been going to get massages for years to help my mental health. I've been going to therapy for years. And we don't, in many cases, have access to those things anymore. So the conversation has really turned toward this idea of how do we tend to ourselves in the midst of these really, really painful transitions, whatever they look like for us, so that we can tend to that survival energy and give ourselves access to the full resourcing as a result of tending to that instead of trying to just make it go away and make it through until it's over. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about some of those strategies, resources. You're absolutely right. We can't leave our homes for the most part to go and do those things that we were we were dependent on for self-care and wellness and mental health. We can maybe pop in a video, do a meditation on an app, but we you know, what what are you finding is working right now that is an easy to access resource for people? One of the things everyone can practice doing is Noticing what they notice about how they're feeling. There's a tendency to want to sort of stay positive or uh, push down the negative feeling stuff, the scary stuff. Um, And when we can really attune ourselves to how am I feeling today? What's coming up for me? What's triggered in me? I'm noticing how like mad and rageful today. I'm sad today. I'm happy and sad. There's a lots of um, ways people can really experience these difficult life moments. Um, attuning to that and really just noticing what you notice without judging it, without trying to make it go away and developing ways to not only express it that are healthy, which might look like journaling about it, just writing down everything that you're feeling into the pages of a journal or connecting with someone that is capable of hearing it and not needing to fix it. It might be a friend or a spouse, whether they're in your home or, you know, via text or even telephone call. Um, and really expressing what you're feeling rather than just trying to fake it till you make it and keep calm and carry on and stuff it down and put on a happy face. It's it's important for us to acknowledge all the feels that are being brought up in this. And then After we acknowledge that, another thing that we can do that's really accessible to everyone and doesn't require any outside resource whatsoever is taking a few minutes, one or two will make a huge impact, to just breathe really slowly and really deeply. And I know it sounds so oversimplified, but the physiological and psychological benefits of slow, deep breathing are so vast and you'll feel a difference from just a couple of minutes. It's such a simple reminder, but it goes the longest way. And you said something that really resonated with me, which is that you have to really understand what it is that you're feeling. And I think the way that we choose to explain what we're feeling or what we're experiencing is also important. We've been going around right now saying we, we are all working from home. And that, that's mm-hmm. hard. No, we are not working from home. We are at our homes during a crisis trying to work. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right. So absolutely. that's just one example of how to almost give yourself permission to an acceptance for how for how you're feeling. Like, how, why do mm-hmm. I feel so terrible? I'm just working from home. I've always worked from home. No, this right. is not what it is all supposed to be about. So I think it's important to understand what that narrative is and yeah. be, be careful about how you, how you describe what's happening to you because then you don't want to fall into the role of like, it's all my fault. Why can't I do better? Yes. 
Absolutely. Being intentional with our language is another really top crucial thing that we can do for our mental health and well-being. And I love that reframe. You know, I'm I'm at home in the midst of a crisis attempting to work, endeavoring to feed these children right. and find some semblance of care for myself as well. And it, the same thing comes to, you know, that emotional intelligence or articulation is talking about um, what you're feeling in terms of I'm aware that I'm feeling instead of I feel this. Um, it really changes the narrative that we apply to it. And if you end that sentence with right now, it also makes it a very temporary. I'm aware that I'm feeling angry right now. Mm-hmm. Way different than I'm so angry. It just has this um, shorter term context to it that requires you to be really present and then invites you to be even more curious about what's fueling that anger. Makes sense. And I think when it comes to our money right now, a lot of us are feeling Mm. things like shame, regret. Why didn't I have the savings? How could I not have seen this happening? Um, And then a lot of self-blame. How do we change the narrative there? Not because I, I, I don't want people to feel like victims either, right? Like, There are terrible things happening that are not within our control, but that doesn't mean that you are a victim here. But it does also mean that you should be kind to yourself for what because of what's happening here. Like this isn't all your fault either. Sure. You know, I support people in the midst of painful life transitions all the time, whether it's death or divorce or you name it, it's happened. And that always comes with this real survival fear around money and financial long term well-being. And that shame and regret and guilt and all of those things are always a part of that narrative. And one of the things I think we can do for Anoush that's, again, so scary and easy to avoid, but actually so simple to execute is start by getting really, really clear with what your numbers actually are. So many of us have this narrative in our minds about how doomed we are when something like this happens. And what I find over and over again, that my clients often are empowered and surprised by how okay they actually are for at least the short term, for the present And when we get that really honest look at, here's what I have, here's what's going out, here's what's coming in, you know, the basics, that stuff that we learned early on in trying to figure out how to be an adult, we can really then, from that place of fully informed, make decisions going forward. And one of the things I think we need to let go of is the shame and the story around receiving the resources that are available to us. So many people um, have a have a real self-judgment around receiving unemployment benefits or taking money from, you know, receiving money from the government in the form of the uh, stimulus that's being provided right, right now. And I think a really abundant mindset shift around that money is simply receiving that resource as a contribution to your abundance. So if if you're someone who qualifies for any of those resources, whatever they are, whether they're low interest loans or, you know, unemployment benefits, really applying yourself to receiving that as a resource and letting that shame and that story around needing it go by the wayside. Yeah, it's actually a gift. You could also look at it as like, well, yes. I've been paying in this is what my taxes have been for. <laughs> right. Like, I pay into the government to be able to run and now you know, and, and, and truly we're all in the same boat. That's the other thing I keep telling everybody, everyone, Mm -hmm. unless you're some billionaire on a yacht, 
Um, but mm-hmm. for, for most people, most earthlings have ex- are experiencing some sort of financial impact because of this. And it, some, some more severe than others, of course, but there is no shame. You got to just be honest with what you're dealing with. And from there, you know, understand that there are services out there. There are resources. There's there's your own also like can do itness that can get you through this and have you yes. thriving as well. Yes, absolutely. And I think that can do itness can feel really far away when we're in that freaked out survival energy and the doom and gloom and the fear. And so by really attuning to our mental health, our emotional health, making space for the stuff that seems so irrelevant in times of crisis, we're going to actually be able to access that can-do-ness. That's how we're wired. When we're in that survival energy, we literally cannot access the incredibly eloquent parts of our brain that are capable of coming up with really brilliant solutions to life's problems. And when we take the time to take care of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually, we're going to have access to so much more self-resourcing, those brilliant ideas that we get in the shower, those resources that we forgot we had, and also learning how to ask for what we need is so invaluable. I just got off the phone with the landlord who I rent um, space from for my yoga studio. And I, and I shared with him where we're at and he said, what do you propose? And what we ended up with was, was a couple months of free rent because I asked, because I made the phone call. And so I want to remind people that we've got to learn how to ask for what we need. There are people who have different resources that we don't have access to. And when we're willing to have those maybe difficult feeling conversations to ask for what we need, to ask for help, to receive those resources again, I mean, there's there's so much abundance in the world. And part of our job is to learn how to attune to that, to notice it, to ask for it, and then to be willing to receive it. I want to get microscopic on that conversation that you had with your landlord and actually learn like how it went. What what was the mm-hmm. what was the proposal? What did you tell him? Obviously, it should no, be no surprise to anybody. Times are tough, but um, was there a script? There wasn't a script. I did talk to my coach about it ahead of time, which I'm super grateful for that little pep talk because it didn't occur to me to ask. So that was step number one. I just called him up. Um, and basically said, look, we had to close our doors halfway through March. So I, I need to ask for support because I'm not going to be able to come up with fancy new revenue streams when no one can walk into my yoga studio. And he said, what do you propose? Just as simple as can be. I don't know that everyone will be so, um, generous. I hope that people will be really willing to help each other out in these times. Um, but he said, what do you propose? And so I was prepared for a proposal in case he asked. And I essentially said, hey, I can pay you half a month's rent uh, based on what I earned last month. And I'm not sure what uh, what I can tell you from there. And he said, why don't you just take the next couple of months off? Call me June 1st and we'll see where we're at. It was it was short and sweet and kind. He said, shoot me, type up an addendum, send me an email, I'll sign it and mail it to you. It was it was really beautiful. So I think we also have to remember that there are kind humans out there who are willing to do kind things in moments of difficult times. And if we don't ask, we're going to miss out on the possibility to receive a gift like that. I'd love to learn also about your own personal arrival Mm. to all this breakthrough that you had and now what you're teaching to so many people, this message of healing and life transformation, working your way through trauma. You yourself, six years ago, became a widow with four children and 
in that time frame, you have become an entrepreneur. You have since, I believe, remarried um, or you have a fiance. Would you have thought that six years ago this would have been your life? And take us back to that time frame um, in six years ago. Looking back, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. But what were the things that you wish you had known in that first year? Oh my goodness! I think I might have to write a second book just to capture all that. Let me think. What a great question. Um, probably one of the first things that I wish I had known was the temporary nature of the immensity of the suffering that I was feeling. I mean, you're right. Six years ago, there's no way I could have imagined the current life that I'm living. I had really sort of just resigned myself to living a scraped together, crappy second best kind of life and sort of just trying to survive my way through to the end of it. Um, so if I could give myself advice and really anybody who's in the midst of a really tough time, I think first is that we've got to create space for what we're, fe- what we're feeling. We've got to create a really intentional space to experience the pain of the transition, which sounds cruel. And yet it's so necessary. The more and more and more I study trauma and I study, you know, human psychology and the way we're wired to operate is that we are so focused on getting away from the pain as quickly as possible. But what we're doing is deferring it and we're carrying it with us and we're taking it into the next iteration of life. So I often um, am teaching on the topic of creating a metaphorical chrysalis for ourselves, where we give ourselves total permission to take a pause, to slow down, to get resourced from people who have been there, who, who know how to support mental and emotional health in those times, to receive the resources um, if we're blessed to have those around us. And I, and I really would also say, don't wait so long to, to start um, seeking support. There's this weird mythology that time heals all that we all sort of just accept. And so we wait and we wait for it to get better and we wait for it to get easier. And people come to me two, three, four years after their painful catalyst moment and say, it's been so long and nothing's changing and I'm trying so hard and nothing's changing. And what we find out is that they're trying so hard to get away from it and make it go away. And they've never actually turned around to face it. And to integrate it and to be curious about what's being activated in in their psychology and their trauma centers. So really tuning in to the experience you're having, creating space for the pain, but also creating space for really proactive support. Healing is an incredibly active experience. It's not one that magically happens when a certain number of days or months or years pass by. It's something that we choose to turn toward every single day, taking really, really small baby steps forward that create these massive ripple effects on behalf of your future self. And with your four children, what were those conversations like with them? I know part of what you dedicate your teachings to is conscious parenting. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, is that part of the also the journey that you have with your own kids, those learnings with your own children? Oh, absolutely. They were a part of this with me, having their own experiences, yet also certainly impacting my own experience. There was this really delicate dance of taking care of myself and my grief and my needs, and then also being really attuned to their needs, just as children first, and then also as children who had lost a father at a really, really young age where they didn't have a lot of intellectual or emotional context to make sense of it. And so 
the conscious parenting aspect that was really and continues to be really prevalent and important in our life is this concept of telling the truth at an age appropriate level and not trying to protect them from the reality of their life and our life together. And that has really served us well because it's created a family value system where questions are permitted and they can expect to get real true answers. And my role, I guess, is always sort of titrating the amount of information and the the depth and the quality of the information because a five-year-old needs a whole different answer than my now 11-year-old needs about the same experience. So talk a little bit more about your book, Grief Unveiled. I want everybody to uh, learn about this because I think that while you didn't probably write this with knowing what was going to be happening in the world at this time, it does feel like a very appropriate read, although your personal story is about losing a spouse. But there's a lot of different kinds of grief that we are all feeling right now, right? Absolutely. And I think that's something really, really important for us to acknowledge is the varying types of grief. And again, it's financial, it's personal, and it's even, you know, things like grieving, missing your college graduation and having to reschedule your wedding. There's so many things that we're grieving and missing out on. And so, you know, the book was originally written from this perspective of widowhood and loss of life and loved ones. And what's been really amazing is how many messages of appreciation I've received from all kinds of people with all kinds of grief, letting me know that the way that I described the experience and also gave really proactive guidelines on how they can also experience their grief was so life-changing for them. Because really, honestly, when we think about grief, typically it's just this overwhelming sadness that we have to tolerate until it goes away. That's sort of the general understanding of what grief is. And my my real honest experience with grief has been completely different that of course leaves us forever changed this grief, but it doesn't have to mean forever suffering. And there are so many things that we can do to understand it, to express it, to feel it in safe ways. And also, as we talked about earlier, to use a lot of really intentional language around what we're feeling so that we don't create these unnecessary stories of additional long-term suffering. I spent the first year grieving with so much self-judgment and self-loathing and fear about the unknown future. And so when we have these moments of grief, one of the things that we can do is really take responsibility with it to keep it pure and clean and in present tense. Grief is often this expression of gratitude for what was or what should have been. And um, we often can tarnish it with all these stories of shame and judgment and fear of the future. So by staying really present, and I talk about this all in the book, of course, by staying really present, we can have a completely different experience with our own grief. And that changes the way we're able to re-engage with life as well. Do you think that it is our culture, the Western culture that has created this way about managing grief? Did you find great examples in other cultures, in other, you know, societal groups where maybe they are already practicing this sort of renegade way of experiencing grief? Absolutely. Um, What is it about our culture that 
has created this strict way of managing grief. I think we've really come up with this historical Puritan approach to a lot of things in our lives, this very sanitized and privatized way of experiencing emotions, both positive and negative. There has been historically a ton of shame and um, rejection around any emotion, really. We've we've sort of been asked to become these neutral beings um, and to have the, the big and bad and sad and happy emotions in the privacy of our own lives somewhere else. And um, yeah, absolutely. The, I think that's a spot on it observation on your part is that we really haven't been given a model of something else to do. So we've got these rituals, which is, you know, a burial or um, closing the chapter or turning over a new leaf. We kind of have all these sort of like finite things like it's finished, it's over, move on with it. And people um, really want us to wrap it up in a tidy manner. And I think um, I did really connect with the Mayan culture when I was a, just a few months into my own grief experience, I heard a man named Martin Prechtel, who's a Mayan shaman, giving a talk on YouTube on the subject of grief as praise. And it really captivated my attention the way he talked about how in Western cultures, we are so sanitized and private with our pain and how in his culture, they were so community focused and they were very public with the pain and they didn't see grief, crying, longing, yearning, mourning as a weakness, but rather as a normal experience, just like giving birth or getting married. It was just something that we humans did. And the grief that we felt and the way that we felt it big and loud and messy in, in his cultural context was so profound because it wasn't something that I knew how to do. It's nothing I had ever observed or witnessed. So he sort of gave me permission to have this new curiosity about what I was feeling and how I felt inspired to express it. Now, I certainly didn't have the opportunity to roll in the streets wailing with my community gathered around me, as he described. But there was this sort of um, humanized part of me that woke up and said, yes, that's, that is how I'm feeling. And when he described grief as praise, that really resonated that the deep pain that I was feeling for what was now missing from my life was really this expression of gratitude that I had ever had it in the first place. And that really, really changed my heart and the way my thoughts operated around what had been lost. And what a more exciting way to memorialize someone, right? To mm -hmm. celebrate someone's life and interpret your grieving as, again, just a testament to how fantastic this person was, you know, and how important this person was. I think that's such a, again, these, this is wonderful advice because this is stuff that doesn't require deep pockets or fancy resources. This is all just mm -hmm. in our heads. It's how we frame it, which uh, you're democratizing the grieving process for everybody. Do you know mm -hmm. that you're doing this, Sarah? This is amazing. <laughs> this is like exactly. I've never had it described that way before, but I absolutely love it. You've made it and accessible. I think, you know, it's so important right now. You know, we're talking about the context of people dying and there are I mean, the death tolls in this current context are enormous and they're ongoing. And I think that's a big part of the fear is people dying. And so we're being not only asked to 
stay home and lose our jobs, but also then there's this uncertainty of loss of life and will I be okay and will my family and loved ones be okay? And we're really being asked to grapple with our our humanness and um, the the sweetness and the tenderness of what it is to be alive here on this planet. And um, so as grief comes through, it will look different and, and sometimes we'll judge it because, you know, other people have it way worse than we do. And I really want to encourage all of your listeners to create space for what they're feeling, to really be intentional about digging in and getting curious about it, expressing it in healthy ways and feeling it because that will do you so much good going into the future when you acknowledge the loss of what has been you're also going to be creating space for what will be. Well, we look forward to following up with you. Everybody, if you want to learn more about Sarah, her book, it's called Grief Unveiled. And we thank you so much for joining us and hope that you and your family are well and safe and healthy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. It's been a pleasure. For more, check out sarahnainan.com. You can download her Meditation for Cultivating Peace in Rough Times. Her book, again, is called Grief Unveiled. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com. You can grab the transcript, the audio, and also leave me your question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. So money.